anything like that. I'm a very confident front runner for Caddy for 33 years, 145 wins now, and that's the best win I've ever had. I have no idea what you have. I don't know. I'm, how are we going to count all the shots? Do you, I, I can't keep track. I don't think he's pleased. Of course you would. That's a, that's a particularly stupid question. If they are, show up. Of course you want to play at the weekend. Now, you're welcome along, Golf Weekly friends. Pod two of the week. I am still pumped. I am still enjoying the afterglow of the Open. There is lots to chat about. A warm welcome, Fionn Davenport. Hello, Fionn. Uh, morning, Joe. And after his outstanding performance in the Watch Along on Sunday, Dave McIntyre back by popular demand. Dave, hello. Lads, how are we? Delighted to be here. No, it's great to have you on. So Nathan on holidays, as you all know, I saw him playing Bally Bunyan there yesterday. It's a tough Ugh. life. Peter sends his apologies, a last minute issue at Spawell. So he had to race in unexpectedly, which is, as I said to him, that is no problem at all, Peter. What I'm saying to you listeners is that's one strike, Peter. And <laughs> if you screw with me again like this, things are going to get tasty for you. So Dave McIntyre was booked either way, by the way. You're not a last minute replacement, Dave. No, that's fine. I understand how this system works. We owe you an apology right off the bat. Fionn Davenport, like a media hack, took what you said, twisted it, bent it, and really did you over in our review podcast last night. Yeah. <laughs> Sensationalist, red top type, disgraceful screens. Dave, as you know, and we've known each other a long time, I'm all about the clicks, you know? That's all I want. <laughs> You know, what uh, did you say and how did we present it to the listeners? Because if people didn't catch you on the watch along, then they wouldn't really have heard you. They would have heard our version of you. Um, what did I say? Well, we were discussing Rory McIlroy. This was about one o'clock on Sunday afternoon when he was going through the motions, essentially, in his final round. I think he was hovering around level par, one over par on another pretty calm day in benign conditions at Royal St. George's. And he wasn't making any progress at all. And we were talking about him in general terms of the major championships. And I said, when it comes to the contenders for a major, he's in irrelevance. Mm-hmm. He has no business being at the top of the betting list across the various bookmakers. You always see him in the top three or four. He's not in that category anymore. There's no, apart from the fact that it's probably an Irish bookmaker that I would go in and check the odds on. Um, and the general hype that follows Rory, that's the reason he's up there. But in terms of putting money on Rory to win a major, it's a waste. Of, it's a waste of time because he is an irrelevance when it comes to you sitting down to sift through the possible picks on the Wednesday of a major championship week. Unfortunately, Fionn, you know the clickbait <laughs> merchant that he is, <laughs> twisted my words and turned them into something resembling me saying that Rory McIlroy as a golfer is an, is irrelevant. <laughs> Which did I did I say that? I I thought I actually was leaning into the fact that in this limited context, he was an irrelevance that I didn't think you meant he was generally an irrelevance. No, I, well, you know, I, we could be interpreting the same words differently here. And that's fine. Did you even listen to the pod? Did you? Absolutely. I was texting oh. Joe during the week saying, this is an outrage. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, I, but because I also did say on Sunday that, you know, probably one of the best players in the world at the moment, maybe only second to John Ram in terms of his consistency and his ability to perform week in, week out, is Louis Westhazen. He is, what, top five in all four majors this year, top three perhaps, and he's consistently up there in the top two or three on the PGA Tour. He's not winning anything, but 
he is in a different league to Rory McIlroy at the moment in terms of how good a golfer he is. Would I rather watch Rory or Louis? There's no contest. Rory's box office always will be for not just the way that he plays on the course, that swashbuckling nature that for me makes him so watchable alongside the likes of Mickelson and Seve in his heyday. Speed, the guys that thrash at things, go at things, take on shots maybe they shouldn't always take on. I love watching Rory. He's the my favourite golfer on tour at the moment, bar Phil, who's always been my favourite. And I was rooting for him very hard all year. That shot he hit off that hanging lie on 18 on the Sunday at Quail Hollow for me is one of the moments of the golfing year. And I really wish him very well when he's playing at these major championships. And he will never be in irrelevance because he's got so much going for him. And he's off the course as well. He's such an interesting guy. But I do feel that he is just not on the radar at the moment when it comes to the best players in the world. He's in that next tier of players. He's down in the next tier alongside the likes of Tyrrell Hatton. Um, you, I'm trying. I'm off the top of my head. I should have maybe compiled the sort of guys I'm talking about. You kind of get my gist, though. Hmm. I'm no, confused, though, Dave. Is he? He's not an irrelevance, but he is an irrelevance. In the game of to... golf, he is never going to be an irrelevance. Because he's just too big a figure. He's a four-time major winner. He always has very interesting things to say. He's got a brilliant swing to look at, and he plays the golf in a great way. But if you're mm. listening, if the Masters is next week, and we're sitting down to preview it on Golf Weekly, and we're going through our potential picks, he does not deserve right now to be on the list of potential winners because he's just not good enough to be considered yeah a potential major championship winner at the moment. He's no longer in that tier of player that includes Morikawa, JT, Dustin Johnson, John Ram, those guys. He's below them now. And unfortunately, as painful as it is to say that, and there are many factors behind that situation, um, and we can probably dig in a bit deeper into them. That's just where he is at the moment. Hmm. Not to go down a Rory downward spiral here because he's about 10 on the things I want to talk about, but... um... It is a fair point currently. I mean, it's not to say he won't become very relevant again, and I think that's part of Dave's point, but the world rankings bear it out. He is 15th in the world now. So the lads next to Rory are Webb Simpson, Scotty Scheffler, Daniel Berger, Tony Fina. That's where his current form has him. So I think it's a fair enough point in many ways. Let's go back to more joyous things. So the major season that was, I want to get your initial take on the major season that was. We had Hideki at the Masters. We had Phil at the USPGA. We had John Ram at Torrey Pines. And now we have had Colin Morikawa at Royal St. George's. How was this major season for you? Good, bad, and different? Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, given that uh, it was fraught, like we still had the lingering shadow of COVID. And even though there were crowds... Um, there were crowds at all of them, weren't there, this year? Uh, limited, however. But, uh, yeah, I, I thought they were very good. I mean, I thought the – obviously, Phil's win overshadows everything. Uh, it was remarkable. It was, it was one for the romantics and for Dave McIntyre, clearly. Uh, and as brilliant as Hideki's win was um, – like, and he played brilliantly and absolutely thoroughly deserved it. But, like, the moment of the Masters was Hideki's caddy bowing, <laughs> like, for me. Uh, it was, you know, it, it's it's an unfortunate thing. It, it, it's it's the nature of showbiz. It's, uh, um, I thought, Mickelson, I thought, uh, um, 
this open reason, maybe there's a bit of recency bias, but I thought um uh Colin Morikawa winning the open was was fab and and John Ram winning the US Open. Yeah, so I mean overall it was a pretty good year. Dave. Uh the fourth round at KO Island for me is one of the great days of major championship golf. And I'm conscious that recency bias can play a part here, but when I expanded in my thinking going way back over the years to days of golf and watching major championships all the way from my childhood through watching Miles Dungan at the Masters, well not at the Masters, with a Masters green screen behind him back in the 80s. I can't remember a day where I was more enthralled and thinking, surely this isn't going to happen. This can't possibly happen. This is one of the most remarkable stories, one of the most remarkable performances. That drive, I think, was it on 15 where he outdrove his playing partner. Who was it that he was in? Was it Kepka? He was playing with Kepka, wasn't yeah. he? And he outdrove 367 yards. Sure. I think so he I'm, hit. I'm yeah. on my feet going, this is unbelievable. And for him uh, to do it at his age it was just quite incredible. Um, and then the other major moment for me that in terms of the four terms this year was the two putts that Ram made closing out to win the US Open and the visceral reaction to both putts from him, like this Spanish firebrand with the pump in the air and this guttural roar. And there were crowds at Torrey Pines and you're just thinking this guy's an animal, the way he has closed this out. I don't think, we talked about Louis a lot in the last week. I don't think Louis necessarily lost the US Open at Torrey Pines. It was taken from him by John Ram and those two real clutch, memorable putts that he holds in 17 and 18. Hmm. So would you say that Mickelson, the fourth round at Kiowa, was more memorable than Tiger at the Masters in 2019? I would, yeah. Yeah. No. Now, it's a very good question. It's not something I've thought of. But Mickelson's always been my guy. Yeah, And it goes back to the days where he couldn't win a major. And, like, I remember watching him at the 95 Ryder Cup. Was he 24? at that stage because I know he won as an amateur in 1991 so I think he was still a teen then May 24, 25 and even then you're thinking God this guy's going to win so many major championships and I remember all of those moments you know losing out to Payne Stewart in 99 at uh, Pinehurst and then 2001 there's nobody I was watching it in an airport in Chicago um, watching David Toms drain this put on the 72nd hole Dean Mickelson done again and thinking this is never going to happen for him so when he's always been the guy I was rooting for and I loved all mm-hmm. of his major championship wins. So for me, that would probably played a lot into it. I was never really a Tiger fan for many reasons over the years. Um, maybe just the way he used to behave and the way he used to treat people. But I acknowledge um, there was a very different side to Tiger in that year when he won it. And I, I felt we were watching more of a human being, a real humble guy and the moments with his children afterwards were great. But yeah, Joe, to answer that uh, question, or sorry, you, for, you, you answer the question, but Joe, you disagreed straight away. I would have the Mickelson final round of Kiwa above what Tiger did in 2019. Not to diminish what Tiger did that day, because yeah. that was just, that was jaw-dropping stuff as well. Yes. And to be fair, I wouldn't want to talk down what Mickelson did because it was the best golfing day of this year, for sure. I'd have Tiger yeah. ahead of it because of what Tiger represents in the game and the comeback felt just so unlikely in so many ways at a certain point. But what Phil did was amazing. Phil's fourth round was the best golfing day of the year. Mm. Uh, by a distance I would say and that therefore was the best major for me and I thought Kia was was the standout course as well of the major season it was just from Thursday when really quickly on Thursday you realised you were remembering so many of these holes because they were so interesting 
it had everything. And then Brooks in the final round, I mean, it was just amazing. And yeah, that image of them walking down 18 and the crowd and it getting a bit out of control. Yeah. That won't be beaten yeah, for a very long yeah. time. I'd forgotten about time. that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, Dave's point is obviously totally correct. And it illustrates an important thing that we should all remind ourselves when it comes to, like even you're ranking the four majors. Like I know that we did a Twitter poll on the Golf Weekly account yesterday and Mickelson won by a landslide. Um, but if you were to do a similar poll, say, with, amongst Japanese golf fans, they'd all say Hideki, you know. And uh, But my point, no, my point is, is that it's not that Hideki's accomplishment is any less amazing. It's just, it's just, am I a big Hideki Matsuyama fan? Not really, you know. No. The Masters for me this year was a big disappointment. Huge it, disappointment. It just felt, yeah, it just felt a bit, eh, yeah. But that was largely down to the rock solid play of Hideki Matsuyama. Yeah. Particularly yeah, who, the back nine, because the door, he never opened the door. And unfortunately that makes it boring. Like he was incredibly solid. Yeah. It, it was several factors for me though. Again, the TV coverage was a disgrace and they got away with it the year before because they had Bryson and Rory on the Thursday, Friday, whereas this year, until the Saturday when Justin Rose was really playing some great stuff, the thing it didn't come alive until Saturday. And I true. feel when the Masters are so valuable, you want all four days to be really, really good. So when two of them were complete write-offs, like watched in this weird dystopian app with no crowd there and no commentary, Thursday, Friday didn't do it for me. And then, as you said, Sunday was, for want of a much, much better word, I grant you, but it was a bit boring. And... I had to find myself going, oh, no, this is great for the game and this is great for the game in Asia and Japan. And, but, I mean, when you're making those intellectual arguments for sport, which you're meant to kind of feel and react to and everything else, then you're kind of losing. So, like, by a distance, I would have said the Masters was way down. And Hideki has kind of done exactly what I felt was going to happen. Came along, he flourished, he won, and disappeared just as quickly back into this world's top 30 player. <laughs> True, yeah. You could yeah, say the I, same I, for Phil. You know, no, Phil, I mean, Phil's disappeared back into Phil's disappeared back into like the world's top seven hundred, which actually makes it all the more miraculous. <laughs> There's one other moment that we didn't mention, and it's just it occurred to me from Phil's final round. You know, I might have been fourteen, where he and his caddy, his brother, are they spent two or three minutes discussing this shot and how exactly they should take it on, and they they decide on a strategy. Phil flushes it. And the ball has left his club maybe half a second and he just turns around to his caddy and goes, kind of like that, yeah? And you're just going, off, yeah. Phil. <laughs> I love you, man. Yeah. <laughs> he is box office. There's no uh, doubt. His mm. chip in on the par three, sixth or fifth, that was when you knew there was magic in the air. Man, Yeah, that was amazing. That was amazing. To be fair, we got a great Sunday with Morikawa. So I would go if I was that type. I would probably go Phil... Although Ram's win was amazing the last two holes, I thought Marikawa's uh, Sunday, across the Sunday, was like a better sustained four or five hours in terms of entertainment and, and how the tournament was playing out and speed making his run then unexpectedly. So I'd go Phil, Marikawa, John Ram, and then probably a more distant fourth Hideki Masters for me. Yeah, same for me. Exactly my order. I have one interesting start, fellas. Okay. Uh, first time ever, no winner of a major in his 30s or 40s. We had three in their 20s and one in his 50s. We've never had oh, all four is. in their... Yeah, never had all four in their 20s. But for the first time, no winner in 30s or 40s. 
kind of an amazing sport, isn't it? Three in their 20s, one in their 50s. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. incredible. It's, um, I think the major championships and the way the winners emerged this year should be an inspiration to every generation of golfer. I mean, the young guys coming out of college, not, I don't think they needed this to be kind of reaffirmed in their own minds because they just all seem so confident when they leave the, the collegiate setup in the States at the moment. But to see what Morikawa and Ram have done over the last couple of years, you'd, like Morikawa's what? He's won on his first start in both the PGA Championship and, and the Open Championship. Mm. Experience is counting for an awful lot less now mm. than it used to because well, of what they have, the mindset that these lads have coming in. And then on the other side of it, if you're 45, if you're McElroy scratching around for a bit of form and you're thinking, God, are my major championship winning days gone? Well, there's Phil, who's what, 18 years your senior, still winning a major title. They're, the, the career of these guys, if they look after their bodies and their minds, it can just go on and on and on. And there's no reason that if you can just about keep hold of your length and keep your body intact, that you can't win a major in your 50s. That's true. I mean, it is worth pointing out, though, until this year, the average age of a major winner since the turn of the millennium is 31.2 years old. Um, so it, it, it takes a bit from both your points, Dave. Um, you need youth. You need that kind of no scar tissue. You need to be feeling bulletproof, particularly with the putter in your hand. But also you need to you need a bit of experience. You need to you need to have figured out your way around major pressure um but this year obviously like with no with no winner in the in their 30s and 40s that actually is a brilliant stat yeah yeah so uh it really does of course you know god i like it when sky sports they quote these amazing stats and then you realize oh they just got that from justin ray (laughs) every stat is from yeah justin ray just take that as red so Dave, Fiona yeah. and I talked a lot about Morikawa on our review pod. Give us your take on his win, the nature of his win. Um, unfortunately, and, and I'm sure you two will disagree, I'm putting it into a similar category to the Hideki, say two and a half hours towards the end of that turn. Because, you know, I know speed for the most part was within two or three shots, but I'd never felt that Morikawa was going to be troubled. I just... I mean, there's a, there's a, there's an element of the Faldo in this guy. There's ice running through this guy's veins. He just seems to be able to handle the pressure. And I remember after he won uh, the PJ Championship and that unbelievable uh, tee shot he hit into the drivable far, par four, mm. this really gentle, almost straight fade, if, I mean, if that isn't a contradiction in terms. And I just thought, this guy's a killer. But at the same time, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, he's doing all of this in front of an empty golf course. There are no crowds there. Is he really feeling the major back nine Sunday pinch as, as plenty of golfers have felt over the years and wilted? Well, he proved there at the weekend on the, his first ever Open Championship with crowds there and a three-time major winner breathing down his neck, only two shots back. And you, you, you know there's catastrophe lurks around every corner, even in big nine conditions on a Lynx golf course. Never for a second did I think Jordan Spieth had a chance because this mm. guy knows how to get the job done. He did it earlier in the WGC earlier this year where he played really good golf on a real kind of tricked up, tricky golf course with a lot of runoff areas and a lot of places where the golf course can get away from you. So I didn't get a huge kick out of watching Morikawa do it because I just thought he's too good to fail. And for that reason, I think he's going to win many more of these things. Yeah. I think we realized early doors he was a killer. Even before the USPGA win, there was a drivable par four, at, I think it was Jack's place, and 
water like right at the neck of the green. And the player in fr- with Morikawa went and found that water. And Morikawa stood up straight afterwards when you'd be entitled to have a few negative thoughts after seeing that and drove it just right perfectly, faded it through the neck of that green. Reminiscent in a way of that shot on 16 at the USPGA you're referencing, Dave, that uh, perfect three-wood. And what just emerged so quickly with this guy was under pressure, his action just holds up. Just when, when everyone's ball striking because of nerves and tightness, goes back a degree or two, a percentage point or two, his doesn't. He is just unerring. The tension, because his action is so sound, doesn't affect him. And that's when you realize, wow, if his precision, which is awesome anyway, also holds up under pressure, he's going to be very hard to stop. Like I had a look at him. It's an amazing stat. So basically to get a full stroke gained in a round of golf against your fellow PGA Tour pros in any department is a huge thing. You know, it's, it's, it's a, a one shot in, in putting or your iron player driving is a massive thing. So there was a stat, and again, it was from Justin Ray. Basically, um, it's a slightly complicated one, but gaining a full stroke or more with your approach play. So in terms of like how many of your rounds you've done that in, where you've gained a stroke on your competitors with your arm play, like there's Morikawa on 63% of the times he's played with his arm play. He's gained a stroke on the entire field. The amazing thing is there's like a 10% drop to the next guy, Casey, and then everyone's bunched. Casey's like 54. There's Bradley 50, Henley 47, Hoffman 46, Thomas 46, Grillo 45, Sink 45. So you've got... Morikawa, 63% of the time he plays, he picks up a shot with just his iron play in a single round. That's four shots tournament. And then there's a big drop of about 10%. And then the rest are all bunched. So like even statistically, his iron play is, he's not just the best iron player in the world. He is trouncing the field when it comes to his iron play. And that iron play holds up under pressure. I mean, that's a scary start at 24 and it's a reason uh, why, sorry, Fionn, it's a reason why the question marks over his putting, they don't hold much water because he knows if he puts well, he's probably going to win because his iron game and his game off the tee is going to be there at these major championships. By and large, it will be there. So he just needs one good putting week and he's going to win as opposed to a guy that consistently puts maybe in the top 15 or 20, but the rest of his game isn't good enough to ensure that he wins in those weeks. Marikawa only has to bring it two or three times a year and he could be a multiple Mm. winner on an annual basis on the regular tour events and at the majors. And that's a great way to be able to take your mind into a major championship week, not know, not really feeling that there's going to be an awful lot of pressure on the rest of your game. And you just go with the flow as regards your putter. It'll work or it won't. But if it works, you're probably going to win. If you, yeah, but then add, so that's, that's amazing. He's picking up four shots, a, four shots, a tournament on the field with his irons and then led, led the putting stats at both Harding Park and at Royal St. George's. So he's not even coming in, like, say, top 10 in the putting. He's leading the putting. Mm-hmm. He's the best putter. Now, obviously, there's a factor to consider that he, you know, he, he's hitting his irons close. You know, he's giving himself better looks. But, like, but and 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 I take your point, Dave. Like, and I, I read a quote during the week of, like, Jordan Spieth was talking about that ultimately where he, where he was angriest with himself was obviously 17 and 18 on the Saturday. And that's, that's where he felt that he had lost it. 
Um, and so I agree with you. As good as Speed's uh, run was, I never really got the feeling that Morikawa looked like he was going to make a mistake and let and open the door back open. However, what I find thrilling, Morikawa isn't a 37-year-old stalwart of the tour, a guy who's been around a long time, knows how to eke out a win. He's a kid. He's like literally a fresh-faced, well, not quite a rookie, but like this is a guy who's just shown up and says, okay, guys, I'm going to take you all on. And I find that exciting about him. Um, I, I Yeah, and I, I find I would have preferred Spieth to win because he's my guy. But um, but I have to say, watching Morikawa win left me with like a feeling of this this guy is really something. Mm. What I am looking forward to someday, maybe might get it in 2022, it pains me to think that the next major isn't until April. <laughs> I mean, it's a major flaw in the moving of the PJ Championship on the on the calendar. I know there were so, some very good reasons for that, but God, April seems a long way away. But it would have been interesting if Spieth had been in the final group with him and had been able yeah. to stare into his eyes and really go, I'm the three-time major champion here. You fluked one at Harding Park in front of a, a you know empty grandstands. This is what it's all about with the sun out, Royal St. George's and the bumpy greens and the... The, the big crowds. Well, let's see what you're made of now. Instead, he was with Louis Westhazen, who just looked like he was done after the sixth hole. Maybe next year we see him at the same score on the first tee at Augusta or at one of the other three major championships with DJ or with Jordan Spieth mm-hmm. or a John Ram. That will be something to really well. get a test of what Marikawa is like. How great can he be? Yeah. yeah. I agree with you entirely. I think that's really something to look forward to and it'll be the real test of his mettle, how he holds up against the other guys who are as every bit as good as he is. Yeah, I, th- I think he'll be fine. I think his nerve is, is there. It's rock solid. It's based in his confidence and his technique, isn't it? You know, I think that's why mm. he's... It's, if, if the ball is coming off the club face the way you expect, it's very easy to hold your nerve, you know? Um, I guess the putting... He did hold a lot of putts from... 25 feet on Sunday like it was outrageous but if anyone puts like that they're gonna have a chance so you know there'll be days where that doesn't happen the one concern I'd have for Morikawa so for if we're pitching that this guy as 24 years of age be a factor for the next 20 years his 170 mile per hour ball speed so it is just a fact he will not compete at certain courses there will be uh, years where a lot of major setups don't shoot him so to put one well he's 168 to be exact so, like, he's 168. Cameron Champ and Bryson lead the way on 190. Rory, in fairness, is still way up there. He's fifth on 183. This is not a guarantee of success because Will Gordon is fourth. So, it's not like Will Gordon's winning majors. Tyler McCumber is 10th, but you take the point. And you go down, Adam Scott's 12th at 180. DJ right behind him, 179. Morikawa at 168, ball speed, puts him 134th. Like, he's, he's a long way down. So he's going to he's going to have to do two things. He's going to have to pick his PGA Tour courses a la Tiger. And that's fine. You know, I think he's a smart kid. I think he'll do that. I think we'll see Marikawa going back to the same 15 spots and competing when he figures this thing out in the next two, three years. And then he just has to take his chances at the majors, which suit him. I still think the majority of majors will suit him. Like the Open will always suit him. He'll always have a chance at Augusta, you would think, because iron play is so important. 
And then they'll look, there'll be certain USPGA bomb and gouge setups where, unfortunately, Colin, you're going to struggle. But that's not the end of the world. It still gives him loads of chances for the time being. His 168 mile per hour ball speed in 10 years, you know, it's only going backwards. That's the only slight concern before we give this guy 15 majors. I think we're talking four or five. What's, I mean, obviously, look, um, that speed is only connected to length. I mean, it's the only reason why the stat matters. So obviously, Bryson leads the way. What is he, 320 off the tee average? What's, do, you, do you have a stat on Morikawa? I don't have it on me. His average driving distance on the PGA Tour this year is just over 294. So he's okay. not, it's, that's that club head speed and the ball speed, it, it doesn't necessarily equate to him being short off the tee. If he can yeah. stick around the 300-yard mark, he can handle most golf courses. And Harding Park was long. And I would have thought that the PJ Championship was probably going to be the most difficult major for him to win, but given the way that we have seen the PJ Championship set up in recent years. Mm. I mean, there's a reason why, why Kepka has been able to pick up two of those so quickly. So I think Augusta will suit him once he gets to grips and maybe gets to play another couple of them. I've, I said maybe experience counts for a lot less now than it used to, but Augustus might be might well be the exception to that rule. And the US Open. I think there will be plenty of those in years to come. Tribal Beach, for example, when it does come back there, where he's going to be well able for it. Yeah, Is, is the counter... And, and look, Joe, obviously length is, is a concern for every single PGA Tour pro, so I'm not going to suggest that, that it isn't. And, and they all want that extra few yards to give themselves a fighting chance. But for the sake of argument, Morikawa, who is steady, like, I mean, he's very accurate, uh, and as we know, brilliant ball striker. So he's brilliant with his irons. And sure, would he prefer to take six or seven rather than five into a green? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. But there are a few better with a five in his hand. And I guess, no, does that true. not then? I'm, yeah. No, it does. That, that's definitely a counterweight. I'm picking holes here. I'm almost, yeah. in, in, you know, in, in the, in the uh, immediate afterglow of a win like that, it's tempting to go, I can't see this guy being beaten. So I'm almost trying to throw in, trying to just throw in like a yeah. cautionary. Well, hang on. Weren't we saying this about John Ram a couple of weeks ago? Can't see this guy. We being were. Beaten. We yeah. were. We were. And to be fair yeah. to Ram, if he, as we said on Sunday, if he had held a putt, he would have oh. won that tournament. He would yeah. have won that tournament. So Ram was there, and this is like the next two three years are all about Ram. So that's Morikawa. Uh, Speed, by the way, is in the automatic Ryder Cup places. He has more than played himself back. Dave McIntyre, we've talked a lot about Speed, Fiona and I. Uh, suffice to say, this is the year where he's come back to full health. Next year is probably where he starts winning again. Yeah, he's got one win, hasn't he, a tour this year? And that was great yeah. to watch. It was really, and that was one of the other great weeks of the, of the non-major golfing year. Um, but the next step is, can he win a major championship again? Because he's certainly contending. And he only finished a couple of shots shy at the Open. We know what he's capable of at Augusta. Um, the PGA Championship is going to be talked about more than any other major when it comes to speed, obviously, because that's where he's on an annual basis going to be looking for the Grand Slam. Um, there's, an, there's so much to be excited by. And it wasn't like Rory, for example, has won a Quail Hollow. But apart from that, you haven't really got a sense like he's, that he's back because there's only been a couple of good weeks all year. 
the US Open to an extent obviously never was really a factor at Tory Pines on the Sunday but Spieth has been contending all year from February onwards that's what excites me most about him because it doesn't look like it's um, built on one good week or one aspect of his game getting hot on a week seven day period himself and Grella look like they're really in it they look like they've got that old fire back and 2022 mm. for me will be the year where I, I expect to see him contend in the majors consistently again and maybe get one over the line this time and wouldn't it be amazing if it was the Grand Slam that would just be incredible he he pinpointed like it was an interesting quote afterwards he goes my putting is not where I want it to be at all it's progressing in the right direction but it's not where it has been I know what I need to do to get there and it's just very difficult to do I just wasn't extremely sharp with the putter this week and and then in his analysis of of the Saturday finish. I was 60 yards out in the fairway, made bogey in 17, had a good look straight up the hill in 18, finished two over. Uh, and then I thought this, what was frustrating was the separation it would have been. It would have been three of us separated by at least three shots from the field and I would have been in the final group. So it was kind of a double whammy there where you feel like you're not worried about someone going low behind you as much and you feel in control when you're in the final group. So... It's an interesting insight into how he thinks about this thing. So that bogey on 18, did that, was it the bogey on 18 that cost him the chance of the final group? I mean, I realized the two bogeys set him back a bit, but so he's thinking, look, if I'm in the final group, all I can control is there and then. I'm not, I, look, if a guy is going to come sh- low, go really low behind me, there's nothing I can do about that. So I'm not even thinking about it. And so that frustration of not being in the final group, knowing that stuff was happening behind him, um, I thought it was very interesting. And, well, and also, sorry, go on. I was just going to say his, his comment on his pudding is yeah. interesting, given that at the Masters, if we take these two majors as the bookends, he was 50th of 50 over yeah. the weekend in pudding. You know, the Masters, again, was a disastrous pudding week for him. Yeah. And isn't that encouraging, though? Because yeah. when yes. he was winning his three majors in 2015 and 2016, when he went, well, should have beaten Danny Willard at Augusta, we were just marveling at this extraordinary putting performance. This guy's one of the greatest putters we've ever seen. What's going to happen when he isn't holding all of these putts? And it turned out he didn't have the swing to back it up, to be able to keep himself in mm. there, unlike Morikawa, as we've just t- discussed in such detail. And the fact that he could contend at Augusta and contend at the Open and not put well, I think that's an overall sign of encouragement for his long game, that it's it's there. The consistency in that is there again. His ability to strike the ball flush is there again. And when he, if he returns to the putter that he was five years ago, well, look, he's going to really take off mm. again. Now, yeah. I could be intensely naive and, you know, I'm certainly not discounting the possibility, but in a world where sports stars are constantly saying things to we, the the, the gallery of media, etc., just to put us off the scent, uh, Tiger Woods being the supremo at that particular thing, when Jordan Spieth tells you something, I don't know, I, I believe every word he's saying. I get the sense that, like when he says, look, this what I'm trying to do is really difficult to do, but I know what I need to do and where and how I want to get there. I actually believe mm. every word of that. I don't yeah, I believe that he's just kind of frustratingly saying, oh, yeah, you know, I just, you know, put in the reps. I, you know, I'm just, yeah. I I get the feeling yeah. that there is absolute kind of laser sharp focus from spirit. Is that just me? Is that just wishful thinking? 
<laughs> I don't know. No, no, no. I'm with you. There's a certain integrity, so I feel he's being honest a lot of the time. And then yeah. he's very intelligent. So I feel like his analysis is spot on, especially of yeah. his own game. I'll get to Seamus Power in one moment, obviously. But oh, uh, yeah. just to mention, uh, Dub Jeff was in touch, as in Jeff from Dublin, I presume, on Discord. And he was making the point, no English male golfers won a major in the last 25 years as we sign off on the majors for this year. A weirdly poor national performance. Uh, somebody wow. pointed out to Jeff there was Justin Rose. And we grudgingly on Discord said, okay, we'll give, we'll give Justin Rose to England from South Africa. And uh, nobody seemed to, per, uh, to point out per Danny Willett. I was waiting for the avalanche of Danny Willett. Like his Masters yeah. is Jordan Speed's Masters and that's that. So we'll upgrade but that I, to two major winners in the last 25 years, obviously since Faldo uh, won six. So the big no, names no were talking. No English winner of the Open in 28 years, which yeah. is incredible. Okay, well, that's an interesting one. So the big names we're talking about, the quote-unquote failures, uh, Lee Westwood with his 25 European Tour wins and two wins on the PGA Tour. We're talking Luke Donald, 17 wins in his career. We're talking Ian Poulter, 12 European wins, three PGA Tour wins, and Paul Casey with 20 wins worldwide. Now, two of those guys got to world number one. So amazingly consistent golf. It is a pretty poor return, though, in major terms, certainly compared to Ireland. Like, we had this golden age never to be repeated. So maybe we've got kind of a loftier sense of uh, majors and how easy they are to win. But uh, you do... For a country that you feel is like so part of golf, English golfers, it really isn't a very good return at all, is it? Um, yeah. Sorry, before we, before we kind of look at that, why is it grudgingly acknowledged that Justin Rose is English? He's born to English parents in South Africa, moved to England when he was five. He plays with an English flag. He's English. Lads, there's no debate here. He's not South just... African. I think we just really wanted to not give England that major as well. To not to, make to have it. that extra major. Yeah. So it was, it was yeah. against Rose. It was more like, how bad can we make the English here? Okay, so here's... Th- yeah, I mean, you can. You can say that it's a poor return. And as you said, Joe, this is, you know... I mean, golf, the cradle of golf... Well, not in England, it's in Scotland. But the cradle of golf includes, you know, that yeah. part of the world. Um only one of the majors has played in England. Um, that's a factor. The European Tour from its heyday of Seve has been in decline, uh, forcing the best English talents to ply their trade in the United States, where they come up against um, the best of the Americans and the rest of the world, indeed. Um, I would... I don't know, like, could, I mean, I realise that the population is so huge, but how much of the English population plays golf? Would you say that Sweden, which also developed like a really successful golf school and just churned out one European tour pro after another, and uh, they've had one major winner, if I'm not mistaken, in, in Stenson, and that's it. So, you know, is, is, it, is it a bit unfair to just say, oh, England are such underachievers, when it comes to the majors. I mean, sure, you can make the argument, but I don't know. I think there are factors that mitigate against just simply declaring them as as phenomenal underachievers. I don't know. Were we were they expected to I mean Lee Westwood was obviously expected to win a major. He was that good. Um but like was Luke Donald expected to win a major? Really? I don't know. I I mean I I realize he reached number one in the world, but it was a brief 
a brief but enjoyable tenure at the top of the rankings. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, other than Lee Westwood, I'm just trying to think of who's the outstanding English golfer that didn't win a major. I definitely expected Casey to win a major. And not Maybe not in this kind of renaissance spell of his career, but in the earlier successful part of his career, I, I had him penciled in as a guy who, who would win a major. There was a, a time where I thought Poulter would win one. But this predates Faldo. This, obviously, our, our listener there, you said we, there hasn't been an English major winner since Faldo. Now, we've obviously corrected that with Rose and Willett, but there hasn't been an English winner of the Open since Faldo in 92. It You take Faldo out of it. He's the outlier, and we're talking about one of the greatest players of all time, and no European has won more majors than he. Before him, and I think he won his first major in 89, didn't he, when, when he won at Augusta. You have to go all the way back to Tony Jacklin 20 years before that for the last English major champion. Yeah, good point. So it's not like this perception of English major championship winning golfers is built on this incredibly successful era from the 60s onwards. And it's only this modern day group of players of, of whom plenty was expected that has failed. Take Faldo out of the equation and you're left with nothing going all the way back to Jacqueline at the US Open. Now, did, maybe did he win an Open in the 70s? I stand to be corrected on that, but his win at the US Open is the one I remember because it was Justin Rose that ended that long run in 2013 at Marion for an English US Open champion. So this is nothing new. Um, and as far as I know, it's probably going to be a long while before we get an English winner of the Open or an English winner of a major championship because who's coming down the tracks that we can see at the moment. There isn't really a player of whom mm -hmm. you feel, oh, this guy's going to rip things up in the next couple of years, like a John Ram, for example. But we felt two years ago, my God, Ram is really going to be the guy. Who's the bright, young hope of English golf at the moment? Right now? Yeah. Uh, Matt Fitzpatrick. Matt Fitzpatrick. Do you really think Matt Fitzpatrick's going to win a major? I think he has it in him 100% to win a major. I think this year he show, he's an exceptional talent. He's, yeah, I mean, look, it's very, very hard to win a major. But if I had to pick one English golfer that I think has it in him to win one, I think Matt Fitzpatrick. He is length, great with his irons, good putter. His all-around game is terrific. I don't think he's long enough to be winning a major. Like his average well, driving distance this year is 292. He's 132nd on the PGA Tour list. He's well, Colin Morikawa, who Morikawa hits the ball two yards further on average, has won two majors out of the last seven. So, you know, the, the old argument, yeah, sure, length can go against you, but, you know, didn't stop Colin Morikawa. But there's no, is there anybody else? Like, I just, I just unless there's somebody <sighs> glaringly obvious that I'm just forgetting about it at the moment oh tommy fleetwood i mean sorry i completely i just had a little brain fart there tommy fleetwood's had a rough 18 months definitely compared to the promise he showed before covid uh or in the year leading up to covid uh he is a sensational talent i mean absolutely brilliant and it makes it easier for me to say that because he's such a likable guy as well and so perhaps, again, there's that kind of confirmation bias where I want him to win a major. So in my head, I'm just looking for reasons why he's definitely going to win a major. But he has the game for sure, you know? Do you not yeah. think? Yeah. No, well, if you'd asked me that two years ago, and obviously he he, he was close enough to the winning the Open at Port Rush, he never really yeah. put a lot of pressure on Larry that day. But I think um, 
if he can get his game back to where it was two years ago. Obviously, that's it. Yeah, for sure. Chance, but he's not showing it at the moment, anyway. No, no, no. I mean, look, uh, look, DJ, like D- Dustin Johnson is a great cautionary tale, I think, in golf. Is that uh, he won? He's had at least one win every year of his career, or uh, or most of the years of his career. Um, and yet, you know, you're kind of waiting. When's he going to double down and just win a ton of majors? When's he going to win a ton of majors? And like, and he, nobody denies he's got length, like sang He's got that real ice cold blood running in his veins. Like, this is a guy who can do everything and yet doesn't win nearly as much as his talent suggests he should. So, you know, mm. I just think he's the ultimate cautionary tale for me in, in saying, oh, this guy... Like I'll give you a for instance, and and oh, I'm I'm reluctant to kind of drag Rory back into the conversation, but on Discord there was an interesting back and forth between a few of our listeners on is Rory can Rory be classed as an elite golfer? Is Rory the biggest uh, disappointment? Is Rory, and and the answer to that is is yeah because he doesn't reach our exalted expectations of him, but like on if you look at any metric bar majors. Rory McIlroy is by far the most consistent golfer of the last decade. By far. You know, like in 2019, he won five times, won the FedEx for the second. Like, I'm just saying is, is that like, like he is consistent and, and, and not just because he's box office or because he's great off, you know, off the course talking to camera or because he has a beautiful golfing style. In just numbers alone, if you just take majors out, this is the most consistent golfer of the last 10 years. Hmm. And he hasn't won a major f- since 2014. Yeah, like it or not, that's the game, though. You've got to do it when it counts. And yeah, yeah, no, no, I, that's the deal. Absolutely. But the thing is, is who had Brooks Kepka won four majors in like just lightning quick time. Jordan Spieth won three majors in lightning quick time. Porrick Harrington won three majors in lightning quick time. Um, their moment has come. What I th- what we're all looking for is who's Tiger. Who's the guy that just does it year after year after year? And the answer is nobody. Well, yeah. Seamus Power. We should talk about Seamus Power. So $630,000 in the bank, 34 years of age now, obviously from Waterford, as we all know, he won the Barbasol Championship. It was a playoff. JT Poston threw it away in regulation and gave Power a sniff. And on the sixth playoff hole, Power won his first ever PGA Tour event this gives him a two-year exemption, which is the big game changer, obviously. So end of 2023, gets into the players. He gets into the USPGA major next year. He gets to go to Hawaii. I mean, that's a nice one. <laughs> if you don't, Seamus, if you don't take this opportunity to go to the Tournament of Champions, we can't help you. So he goes from 210 <laughs> in the world up to 113 in the world. 113 in the world now. That's a big uh, shift from 210. Like you jump 100 places overnight. That must feel good. This was his 106th start on the PGA Tour, and he has won. The thing about power is he's off limited status. Sorry, he was off limited status. So he was keeping this run going in the PGA Tour through Monday qualifying and a couple of top 10s, which got him into the following week. So this is just like the culmination of a kind of hot streak. And to say he's hit the jackpot is the biggest understatement of all time. Been working with Barbara Teller recently, I saw in Philip Reed's piece today in the Irish Times. Uh, he'll be in the FedEx playoffs as well because he's up to 69th in the FedEx. And I just thought, you know, 
he talked about how he's, he's just extremely lucky because he said, I'm 34. I've yet to work a day in my life. So every time I get to play in a tournament or an extra year on tour, to me, it's a massive bonus. And he was saying how it's so easy to compare yourself to other guys on tour who are winning things and doing better than you. But actually, when you compare yourself to most people in the world, <laughs> he's kind of doing okay. Here's a little sense of power speaking after the win. It's, it's an incredible day. Um, yeah, I mean, I started out knowing that I was going to need a low one. Didn't, to be honest, I didn't think five under would be low enough. Um, but yeah, I was able to pick one up on the last. Sorry, uh, able to pick one up the last, squeeze into a playoff, and then yeah, eventually kind of uh, pull through there after. You know, the first hole there was very exciting to get a, get the chip in. Obviously, JT to follow you in. You're, you're trying to tell yourself he's going to make it, but you know, deep down, there's a little bit of you that's already kind of thinking ahead. But yeah, I mean, I was able to just kind of stay patient enough there, and just you know, JT obviously was unfortunate just to make one mistake, and yeah, I was I was able to just take advantage. But yeah, I mean, unbelievable day. I mean, you know, career changing, life changing, all that kind of good stuff. So I mean, it, it's not going to sink in for a while, but it's an amazing day. Yeah, huge jump in the FedEx Cup standings, uh, two-year exemption on the tour. Just comment a little bit on what that means to you and now your new goals going down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I'll probably have to take a few days to kind of, you know, figure out some goals. I mean, you know, whatever, probably two months ago, I mean, just to get into the playoffs, it would have been absolutely over the moon. I mean, I've had a good run of golf, and you know, but the win is obviously the two-year exemption. I think someone said, I mean, the players and PGA Championship and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's everything's going to change, at least for the immediate future. So... Again, I haven't really let any of that sink in yet. It's just kind of still hitting me that, you know, I'm, I'm holding this trophy. So they're all kind of good things I'll have to deal with here soon. The hardest thing, Dave, on uh, getting momentum, you're scrapping and you're not able to be in charge of your schedule the way you want to be. And now suddenly for power to be able to pick his schedule, plan it out when he needs his rest, what tournaments suit him as opposed to taking every invite as it comes and to have that two-year security which takes an extra weight off you in your golf it's the kind of moment that changes his life sure but like could really change the trajectory of his career now he could really play some great golf across the next two years who knows what happens maybe you nick another win but certainly you, you get your money up and you just start to get into the habit of being at a certain level on tour so 34 years of age 106 start it's amazing he's going to be in the podcast next week i'm happy to see but uh, such a popular winner. I think Ireland has slowly got to know Seamus Power from a distance over the last couple of years. So everyone's delighted for him. I was a little annoyed because I feel angry at myself for not backing him. No one can say this wasn't coming. You've talked about his form over the last few weeks, consistently featuring in the top 10. And he was tracking towards this sort of a moment. And I just feel I should have had a tenor each way and I'm heading into the, the, the Barbasol last week. Um, he's just such a good natured fella who's had to work his ass off to get where he is he's lost his playing privilege he's had to go back to the challenge tour he's relied on the scraps the morsels thrown from the top tier of the pj tour table to get into the odd event here there and boy has he made the absolute most of it the way he did it the way he picked up that at birdie on 18 there was one shot we mentioned mcelroy's hanging lie effort on the 72nd hole of quail hollow he had something very similar uh, in in the final round on Sunday, the, the sort of ball that you're thinking, how is he going to hit the green from here? And he did it. Um, and it's just the life changing nature of this now. I mean, the the golfing fraternity in Waterford must be just so immensely proud of what he has achieved. And I, the, the interesting part for me now is that he's up to 69th in the FedEx Cup standings. If he hadn't won at the weekend, I think he still was going to retain or to regain his card for next season, given how well he was playing. He was definitely going to finish inside the top one, two, five. The pressure's off him now. 
So it goes one of two ways, doesn't it? Either his season falls apart from here because he just hasn't got that, you know, spectre hanging over him of having to seal his playing privileges for the next 12 months, or all of that is now lifted from his shoulders and he goes and contends again and he ensures that he gets into the top 30 on the FedEx Cup list and and is playing in the Tour Championship, for example, and earns himself a ton of cash Mm. really establishes himself as a genuine PGA Tour player. I hope it's the latter, but the next few weeks are going to be interesting. I just checked the field there for the 3M Open. He's not in it now. Whether he's pulled out because he doesn't need to play in it this week and everything in terms of priorities have changed, or whether he um, he never had any intention of playing it because he's been out there week in, week out for the last eight weeks or so. I'm not sure, but he, he can pick and choose his schedule now, which is just mm. it's a brilliant place for him to be. Fiona, if I was him, I'd be laying out my kitchen in $630,000, bills just to look at it all. It's amazing. Uh, I mean, listen, you, you, you both have covered it quite well. I think the there's, if there's only one kind of sour note to it all is that the wise people at Augusta um, won't extend an invite to him to play in the Masters because the Barbasol went up against the Open. And I'm just like, ugh. Come on, lads. Don't be yeah. a bunch of dicks. Jesus. <laughs> Honestly. Like, he's won on the PGA Tour. Yeah. Like That's the rule. You um, should get the invite, yeah. It's funny, even the- um, on... on a, look, I sort of get it, so it's probably not... Yes, a, it was. A, a, a criticism, but I was, no, I was going to say as well, even on the Sunday night, Sky Sports were re-showing the Open on their, on their Sky Sports, uh, you know, 434 on my channel but the usual golf channel like it was over in like Sky Sports Mix somewhere uh, so I'd say a lot of people maybe golf fans probably didn't even um, yeah, kind of realise it was on unless they were on well, Twitter but I only look, knew it was the, on that because, is the nature of the Barbasol yeah well I only knew it was on because of Discord so somebody wow. put it up and said it was here so I was like alright so yeah but I mean it was on late at night and I went to bed so I watched it the next day next day with, you know like the way the way you watch golf that you've taped you fast forward a chunk of it and just go up yeah. oh, Stop, watch it there. Um, but no, look, look, Dave, Dave highlighted exactly what it means. It's that. It's 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 to reiterate here you have a 34-year-old guy who's been around, you know, and has really worked hard. Although I like that he says, have more today in my life, you know. Mm, I love and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. He be, listen, when we had him on the pod last summer, he was brilliant. He's yeah. personable, he's really thoughtful, he's funny, he's all the things you want our sports heroes to be. And I'm I couldn't be happier. And as as Dave said, this is like this two-year exemption is everything. I suspect though, like he does, I suspect he'll he'll turn this for the good, not for the bad. Mm. Like I suspect that this is time is to reset your goals and go, right, I want to win again. And he'll get more invites. He'll play in any tournament he wants, except for obviously barring one. Um, and he'll make more money. He, you know, he he just he he is he has equipped his toolbox for the maintenance of his PGA career with a whole new set of tools that are going to make it much easier for him and a guy of his talent and application hmm. to stay the course and to last out, you know, well into his retirement. So yeah, well, we're brilliant. looking forward to speaking to him next week that'll be great yeah. what, a, what a lovely thing to get to talk to him about uh, so before the clock comes against us we will get on to the golf coming up this week uh, Rory McIlroy signed off on Sunday by speaking to the press here is Rory I don't know if there's much to look forward to it's obviously going to be a very different environment um, 
looking forward to getting another week's golfing and trying to trying to get my game in shape and um you know as i said there's not much else to do there so 12 hours a day at the golf course hopefully you know i get my game in a bit better shape i i mean like i'm not i'm not a very patriotic guy i'm i'm doing it because it's i think it's the right thing to do and i think you know i i missed it last time and um you know for golf to be an olympic sport you need your best players there and, and i feel like i i want to represent the game of golf more than anything else so that was him talking about the olympics obviously on the patriotic thing i'm sure he'll get criticism for saying that it would have been an easy win for him to say i'm really excited to represent ireland as well but he was unerringly honest and was just telling you the truth so i don't mind that so much his overall tone though like so fed up and beaten down so basically you know when he said there i don't know if there's much to look forward to he, like he's been asked about going to the olympics we'll get on to you know mel reed's pulled out of a major championship this week so she can go and be an olympian and she's talking about how that's a once in a lifetime opportunity to be an olympian and i'm going to grab it see so rory here saying it's not like him you know it's not like him to be so downcast so he said i don't know if there's much to look forward to and he talked about it's going to be a different environment i'm looking forward to getting another week's golf in trying to get my game in shape there's not much else to do there 12 hours of the course is what he said and then in ireland not a patriotic guy i'm doing it because i think it's the right thing to do and even then just on his general feelings this wasn't in the audio but he said look i've spent three weeks away from the family performance this week not what i wanted my body's a little beat up i have a couple of niggles i think i tweaked my neck on the first hole today it's like this is really downcast Roy McIlroy's he mm. departs on Sunday. Everything there was just glass half empty. Everything was glass half empty there. Like it's the opposite to Seamus Power at the moment, who obviously has cause to be much happier and so can look at the bright side and can compare himself to the person on the street. But McIlroy, you know, is usually pretty upbeat and good perspective is often said about him. I just was really struck by how like I said, downcast he was on Sunday and there is no enthusiasm there about the no. next number of weeks. I mean, he couldn't have made it more obvious that he feels this is just a obligation to go to the Olympics as opposed to like the Mel Reid thing. I get to be an Olympian. Like what an experience. It's, it's the first time you're ever going to be an Olympian in your life, Rory. You know, yeah. approach it with a bit more oomph and enthusiasm and you might win a gold medal and you know, you might find your game out there and that's what I'm hoping to do and so I don't know. You know what's what struck me most? What? I'm not. I'm really. I, he did not sound like a guy that we're going to see still playing golf at 45. Eh, maybe not. Um, I just just so fed up. Just so fed up. Certainly, yeah. like you know, just ugh, feeling it okay, on the road so, a long time. Uh, there's a couple of things to unpack here, though. First of all. The whole Olympics, like they were talking the other day that they might even cancel it at the last minute. They won't. But the fact that they were talking about it, like I watched a report in the news this morning from the BBC correspondent in Tokyo. And literally other than the rings over some lake in the middle of Tokyo, you get no sense the the Olympics are on. Now, I, I, ex- without, I accept that, Fionn, but that, no, no, is not, so, that, that is not the basis of McElroy's lack of enthusiasm. No, it isn't. But it is part of that the entire experience has been tainted by COVID restrictions so that Olympic athletes going out there, like the the pleasures of it are altogether removed. And so it's not for nothing. He's going, you know, 12 hours at the golf course. That's number one. No, no, fair enough. Fair enough. That is a fair point. That is a fair point. Number two, 
And you're right. He will get criticism for it. Look, I'm not a very patriotic guy. But here's the thing. He's a 31-year-old kid who grew up in Northern Ireland. He is the Catholic son who grew up in a Protestant environment. Patriotism, certainly in his youth, represented a polarized view of the world. And he, like so many of his generation, have rejected all of that. And I applaud him for it. I really, really do. I applaud the honesty with which he expresses his opinion. Um, and like, look, people are entitled to criticize. You know, there's lots of people who are incredibly patriotic. He's just not one of them. Um, but I understand the why he says it. Uh, and so the idea of, you know, winning a gold medal for, like, got winning a gold medal for Ireland. And, and this is going to bring in Dave. It's one of the reasons why I always find the Ryder Cup such an anomalous thing. I mean, very exciting when it happens and all the rest of it. But like, like I said on the pod many years ago, Europe, Europe. What does that mean? It means nothing. Similarly, golf as an individual sport. Golf is an individual game. And look, he's conflicted. He's going, I'm going because it's the right thing to do. And I don't know. I, you're right. He is very downcast. Uh, would I hammer him for it? Absolutely not. Not even. I wasn't. Slightly. Sorry, I, I wasn't hammering. No, no, no. I know you're not. Yeah. No, no. Sorry, I'm saying that people will. I'm not saying you are, but he will be and has been hammered for this. I no. absolutely say they've. Like I, I for me, no. I, I think. Look, I'm sorry he feels this way. Like exactly what you said, Joe. Everything you said makes a heap of sense. It would be nice if he said, you know what? Look. These are this Olympics is not happening in ideal conditions. Like it's a shame that we're not going to enjoy the Olympic Village. It's a shame that I can't fraternize with other athletes. It's a shame I can't enjoy the spirit of the Olympics the way the spirit of the Olympics is set up to be enjoyed. However, look, I'm here. I'm going. I'm going to take a positive. I'm actually going to see. I'm going to try and represent the flag as best I can. Win a gold medal. And hey, yeah, it'd be nice to win a gold medal. I wish he'd said all of that too. But I certainly I'm not going to criticize him because he didn't, I guess. No, I'm not criticizing him at all. Yeah. I'm just noting it. Like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, off sure. the page that this was uncharacteristically downcast. I'm not criticizing yeah. him. I'm just yeah, saying no, no, no. it's clear how down he is about his game. It's clear mm-hmm. how down he is even about the prospect of playing at the Olympics. Because again, his experience at the Olympics will not be so bad. He gets a private flight out there. He gets to have a crack at winning a gold medal, which is a big thing. I don't care what anybody says, golf or no. And then he gets to get out of there. Like, it's not that arduous. And yet for him, at this stage in his mental state, it's a real drag, you know. Hang on a second. It is a bit arduous. I'm sorry. I, I, I disagree. He's got to sit in his room or on the golf course. Like, he can't fraternize. He can't have his family there. Like, like I'm, you know, I mean, all relative. You know, it's mm. like maybe... I. The conditions under which all of the the athletes have to be are not are far not not only are they not ideal they're actually kind of onerous to all of them. Now, if you're in a, if you're into athletics or a sport where the the climax of your sporting achievement happens at the Olympics, then it's a sacrifice you're obviously going to make. But the 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 the, the pinnacle of sporting achievement in golf is not an Olympic gold medal. It just isn't, and so. For that reason, I have to say, I think, I think, I think his circumstances. I mean, look, he's not working a he's not working a twelve hour shift in a mine. I appreciate that, but at the same time, this is like you know, it's going to be boring as hell. Mm. Dave, uh, you've you've covered most of it, so I don't want to 
be repeating anything you guys have said. And, and when it, when it, it, this is all relative. Like Rory's problems are relative, as you say, Fionn. I mean, it's in in global terms, what he has in his mind at the moment pales in significance to the vast majority of people in the world. But I just think there are a number of factors that have all just come together and have fed into the reason why he's feeling the way he does. Like, were McElroy at the top of his game? Had he just won the Open Championship? Were he... Um, not a father who has just recently become a dad and hasn't seen his newborn for three weeks now was if it was the Olympics as we know it as Fionn said and the experience that Justin Rose is constantly banging on about from Brazil five years ago and how incredible it was for him he would be speaking in very different Mm -hmm. tones but I get what he's saying 100%. Like he's just walked off the golf course at Royal St. George after another really anticlimactic week on the back of what happened at Port Rush two years ago and that constantly been asked about that in the build-up. And seven years now, at the end of the major calendar year, without a major championship win, knowing that really all he wants to do is go home to his wife and his newborn. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm a dad. I get exactly what he's feeling. I mean, I've never spent more than five or six days away from my boys. And it was at the Rugby World Cup in 2015, and and it killed me. All I wanted to do was just go home and be with my son. I can understand completely how he must be feeling. Mm -hmm. Instead of pointing the private jet, again, I know, that's a nice perk to have, towards the States, he's pointing it in the opposite direction, and he's flying further away from them to go to a place that it's it's never really been on his radar, has it? Like being in No, it hasn't, to be fair. Like, if you're a an athlete who has dreamt about being an Olympian from the first moment you threw your spikes on to go, go run, play, do track and field. It wouldn't really matter what the circumstances are. This is what you've spent the last five years yeah. training to achieve. That's a very different kettle of fish. There's nothing in McElroy's interview there that I can pick holes in. If you're one of the people that is angry because he said that he was not the most patriotic of guys, well, that's your problem. And that's got nothing to do with him. I'm exactly in the same page as Fiona's regards McElroy's stance in that regard. So um, I just, I understand completely where McElroy is at the moment. And I understand every word of that post-round interview and exactly why he said what he said and why he sounded the way he did when he said it. Yeah, fair enough. Going to be interesting to see what, how he pitches up at the Ryder Cup. It really will. If he's in similar form, if he's in very indifferent form, that's an issue that Padre Carrington mightn't have anticipated having to handle, you know? So that's going to be... Uh, Interesting. I would think Harrington's watching McElroy's form very closely at the moment and just hoping something comes back. To uh, the golf this week, before we sign off, major week at the Evian Championship in France. So the fourth major of the year. Uh, Jin Young Ko is the defending champion. She's the second favorite behind, not surprisingly, Nelly Korda, favorite after her PGA win recently. So Stephanie Meadows there. She's had a few missed cuts in recent times, Stephanie trying to get some form ahead of the Olympics. And then Leona Maguire, who will be at the Olympics, and then the Scottish Open, and then the Women's Open. It's all very busy for Maguire at the moment. Is in great form. Seven top 20s at the uh, where we are thus far in the season. Uh, four of those seven were top 10s. She's up to 60th in the world. She's 15th in the order of merit. So uh, she's in a really good place. Uh, there have been a few withdrawals for this tournament, I should mention as well, like Mel Reed, because the UK have changed their travel restrictions with France. If she was coming back from France, she would have to quarantine for 10 days, even if fully vaccinated. Apparently, the UK, the UK can't make up their mind if they're concerned about Delta or if it's like, do what you want about Delta. So there you go. Mel Freedom Reed Day. said 
she just was not missing the Olympics. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity to be an Olympian. So she said she looks forward to being back at the Evian in the coming years. So that's where we are. Uh, yep. I was just going to say, no, no, no. It's, it's to do, isn't it to do with the, the, this beta variant? There's a whole other nonsense uh, just because I'm in England. So I can, the, the um they're terrified of this beta variant that the the french cases are showing the one that's originally from south africa but what they don't what they're not telling you though is is that all of the cases of the beta variant that show up in the french numbers are on the ile de reunion which is one of the french territories that is 10,000 kilometers away from mainland france so this i i suspect that this is just a way of kind of 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 slapping the EU a little bit in terms of negotiating uh, the Northern Ireland Protocol. I think it's all politics. Fair enough. Well, Mel Reid's made her choice. So that will yeah. be on. It's always a pretty good tournament to watch as well. The course is often pretty interesting. It's the 3M Open on the PGA Tour in Minnesota, a TPC course. Field here is really good, by the way. For, yeah, And often players are trying to peak for majors. So I guarantee a big name is going to do well this week. And they're just a week out with their preparation. Dustin Johnson's the favourite. Louis Westhazen is there. He's back. He's going again. Tony Fino, Patrick Reed, Matthew Wolf won here two years ago. He's at about 18 to 1. Bubba Watson is there. Sergio Garcia is there. Robert McIntyre is there. It's a really good field. Ricky Fowler on it goes. Dylan Fratelli after a very good open. So uh, two years ago, Wolf won with Bryson and Morikawa chasing him down. So that should be not bad. And then the European Tour. I don't know. Like, it really is struggling the European Tour. The Kazoo Open. This is what the Welsh Open now has to be called. The Kazoo Open, supported by Gareth Bale. Um, oh my I'm not God. sure how he's supporting it. Is it financially or promotionally or Just maybe a bit of both? But he's by loving golf. <laughs> he's sitting at home <laughs> going, Kazoo Open, we love you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's supporting it. Yeah, so this just, is at uh, yeah. Celtic Manor. Like the field, Matt Wallace, fair enough. Sam Horsby, fair enough. Then we're into Aaron Rye, Justin Harding, on it goes. I, like sometimes, say, if I see in Discord, it's like, guys, you don't talk about the European Tour enough. I just don't know if it captures people. Like, I like. will you be watching the Kazoo Open? Are you watching European Tour events? Like my main memory of a lot of this year is just these endless events out in the, uh, like, Mallorca. And I, I, islands off Spain for a large part of the year. It's 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 really had a, a terrible COVID time, the European Tour, and the fields are just very very average. They're not capturing the imagination at all. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's very hard to get excited about the European Tour. I think it, it's the time of day that it's on as well. Like who can sit around on a Thursday or a Friday afternoon and and watch uh, a European Tour event that doesn't really have a golfer ranked in the top fifty in the world? let alone the weekend when there's just so much going on. I mean, of all the advantages that the PGA Tour has in terms of its product, the fact that we get to watch it in the evening is a massive part of it as well. And obviously, mm. the, unless the European Tour is somewhere else in the world, that's, that's just not going to be something that they can hang their hat on. A bit, I can't remember the last time I sat down and watched a full European Tour event. I mean, yeah, I'm the same. Ironically, whereas I think that the big events, like including the majors, uh, uh, is the worst spectator sport to watch live unless you have like an amazing vantage point or you're inside the ropes. Um, so they're, I think they're always better off watched on TV. Paradoxically, the European tour events are better off if you're actually there because, you know, 
like there's nothing between you and the rope. You yeah. can watch anybody you want, and 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 it bears it bears saying that like even though these guys are well out of the top fifty, and you might have heard of some of them, they're all amazing golfers. Holy yeah, moly! When you watch them hit balls, it's just like oh Jesus, these guys are brilliant. So. Yeah, I mean, if I was in Mallorca or in in Wales and I had a chance to just wander in and watch the kazoo open, I, I'd love that. But am I going to, as Dave said, am I going to sit down this afternoon or tomorrow? No, I'm not. Mm. To be fair, the nighttime evening viewing point is a very good one. Anytime I've yeah. been in the States and a PGA Tour event is on during the daytime, I almost shudder at the thought of having it's to watch weird. it. It's <laughs> weird. Yeah, it's weird. It's like turning on the golf channel at three o'clock. It's like, no, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no, primetime viewing. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty, fellas, we will uh, reconvene next Thursday, I'm sure. Seamus Power will probably be going out, listeners, as a separate podcast. I think uh, maybe Monday he's going to be on, so keep an eye out for some Seamus Power. We'll obviously do the podcast as well on top of that. Dave McIntyre, thank you. Been a pleasure. Great to have you on. Yeah, no, that's really enjoyed it. Thanks a million for having me. Sorry again for twisting your words. and um, you, we put- I, I apologize, Dave. Yeah, it's nothing to do you with you. Know, I- yeah, it's it's it, <laughs> mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. Don't the headline of the uh, pod was Rory McIlroy and irrelevance. McIntyre. Yeah, I blame Enda. I blame Enda, by the way, <laughs> our producer. Uh, right, fellas, thanks so much, Fionn. Thank you, Dave. Thanks again. Thanks, we'll do Sean. it again in a couple of months. Cheers, guys.